G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. She said, listen, we are packing up. We're not staying here another day. Uh, and it's not until later that she realized actually what she had been involved with was the occult through the Ouija board. And that had opened the door in a sense for her to have this encounter. But uh, she got rid of all the occultic stuff that she uh, she started looking at these things a little bit more and then realized there were a few things that she was involved in that she shouldn't have been in, although it was innocently. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we're going to hear how the light of Jesus Christ eventually triumphs over the darkness in the life of our guest, Etienne McClintock. Etienne grew up in South Africa, where several of his family members were involved in the occult. As we'll hear, this influenced his life as he began to watch occult-orientated horror movies in his teenage years. But... God never stopped pursuing him and working in his life. Etienne is having a chat and sharing his story with Shelley Scowen. Etienne, thanks so much for joining us on The Story. Shelley, wonderful to be with you on the program. Thank you so much. Well, you have that beautiful South African accent, uh, of course, born in South Africa and uh, spent a fair bit of time there, the oldest of two kids. Uh, you had a pretty interesting upbringing. Uh, you were born into a Christian family, but it wasn't your stock standard Christian family, was it? Can you tell us about your own parents' upbringing? Because they really have quite a story to tell in their own right. Well, that's true. Look, on my mum's side, uh, they'd been Christians for many generations. I don't know how far back you would have to go. They may have been Christians just you know, going back many, many, many generations. But on my dad's side, um, they were not very good Christians at all, although the kids, my dad and his uh, siblings, would be sent to you know Sunday school. Uh, the parents normally stayed home, and um, they only would attend church if there was a funeral or a wedding, basically. So my dad, when he got a little bit older, he actually uh, grew up and uh, didn't actually go to church as such, although those days in South Africa, there was still worship conducted at school, and uh, typically the school would be attached to a uh, like a Dutch Reformed church, and uh, they would occasionally go to that. And they would have worship at school, at, uh, read the Bible, pray and sing. And that was just part of life in South Africa at that time. However, my grandmother was a little bit involved in the occult. She would be able to tell fortunes and tell people's futures. And uh, that always had an influence. They sort of had a blend of uh, nominal Christianity, but also occultic beliefs. And they were quite superstitious as they were grew up. My dad, however, uh, as he grew up, he, he became quite atheistic in his views and he became quite sceptical about anything supernatural. But uh, they often had challenges, you know, and they believed in ghosts. And uh, my grandmother would see spirits in the house. And uh, there's even stories of them sometimes fleeing out of the house because there was a, a, a bad spirit that was in the house at the time. Uh, they had a couple of books, however, in the house. And uh, my dad was an avid reader. He just loved reading, but they were very poor. So he would walk through the field and or in the in the town, and if he found a magazine or a bit of newspaper, he'll grab that and read it, and he wouldn't move until he's finished reading it. So when he was at home and he was bored and there was nothing to do, he would sometimes grab my grandmother's Bible and read that, and he read quite a few stories out of that. Um, 
He ever never saw my grandmother actually read the Bible herself. But he uh, was not really a believer. And then later in life, as I said, he became atheistic. On my mum's side there, she was raised a Christian. You know, they uh, regularly attended church and they had worship as a family. But when she uh, graduated from school and then became a nurse, she actually worked at a, uh, at a hospital, a uh, mental health hospital. And uh, there was a staff nurse there. And this staff nurse had this interesting game that they would play where they would have a mirror and they'd have the alphabet out and they'd have uh, numbers zero to nine. And then they would all sit around with their fingers on this little small glass on the rim and then they'd ask questions and this thing would spell it out. There'd be a yes and a no as well. And so she came in one day and looked at this and she told them that they were just playing the fool because they were pushing the little glass. And here with a little glass started moving around really fast and cursing her. And so they kicked her out saying that she was upsetting the spirits. Now she had, uh, although she was a Christian, there were some elements, I guess, of superstition somewhere in the family as well, because uh, she then finally just would look through the window when they were playing this game. And then another time she would come in and just quietly sit. And then she thought she'll test this game out one day. I mean, this was Ouija board, but she didn't know what it was. Had no idea, had never seen it before. Mm. And uh, she'd actually then asked the questions. She was going on a trip to go and visit an aunt of hers. And this was probably about uh, 1,600 kilometers north of where she was living in Cape Town. And she asked, she said, look, where am I going? She said, what am I doing that I haven't done before? Are oh, you going on a trip away from Cape Town? She said, oh, that's interesting. Well, who am I going to go and visit? Are well, you going to go and visit family? Uh, how am I getting there? You're taking the train. Who will meet me? Well, a tall, dark handsome gentleman will meet you. It turned out this handsome gentleman was actually my dad and he was actually a boarder at her aunt's house and that's how they ended up meeting. Wow. And so what happened was uh, at that time, uh, the relationship started developing and started flourishing. So she took my dad down to Cape Town to meet the family. And when he met my grandfather, my grandfather said, are you a believer? He said, no, I go to church. But he said, my daughter's not marrying a non-believer. So we've got to have Bible studies, and then you can decide for yourself if you want to be a Christian or not. So he had Bible studies, and then all these things that my, um, that my dad had read in the Bible started coming back to him. And uh, it really convicted him that this was the truth, and uh, he became a Christian as well at that time. And then they got married afterwards, and about two years later, I came along. So um, I, was, I was about four months old, and my dad then took my mum from where they were now living in Cape Town, back to the family up north for a Christmas New Year holiday. And uh, when they arrived there, my aunt, so this is my dad's oldest sister, had also followed in my grandmother's footsteps and got involved in the occult. And they lived in a house where people believed was haunted. And people wouldn't live there very long. Sometimes it would only be there a day or two and they'd move out because of the unusual things that would happen in this home. But they lived there for a number of years. Anyway, that night... Um, they were talking about how sometimes they'd be listening to the radios, you know, their favorite radio station. And then all of a sudden the dial would just change, the knob would turn and it would go to another station. And uh, then they will turn it back and it will keep on going to the same station. And apparently the story, as the story goes, or as they tell it, there's someone had been killed in the house and there was a restless spirit there. And this was the person doing all this weird stuff, even to the point where my one aunt actually one night woke up in her room, and there's a man there drying his back with a towel like he just got out of the bath. And uh, they later discovered that that room used to be a bathroom. So there were some unusual things happening there. So they're telling all these stories. My mum heard it, went to sleep, and um, didn't think too much about it. But then somewhere in the middle of the night, she woke up, and she just felt electric all through her body. 
Now, I have to I have to preface this as well because um, she had already been involved in this Ouija board thing now because, of course, um, she didn't know what it was at the time. Anyway, so she wakes up and then she hears someone coming down the passage, but she's feeling very fearful and feels this is very unusual and strange. And then uh, the, she's got like goosebumps all through her body. Mm. And uh, so the lights are being switched on, off, on, off, as she can hear it coming down the passage. And it comes into the store, and they put two single beds together for my parents at the time. And I was just in a little cot beside my mum. And then this creature, this being, whatever you want to call it, picked up her bed and started shaking the bed where she was lying. And uh, she was petrified. She, she felt like her heart was going to pound right out of her chest. And she just kept one eye on me and the rest of her hair, she just sort of just covered under the sheet because it was hot, it was, uh, you know, December time. My dad was sleeping on the other other bed beside her, and um, she was so petrified she couldn't move, but she knew she'd have to get some help. Anyway, the bed was put down, stopped shaking, and then this being left ended up coming back. I'm just going to cut the story short. And this time it shook the bed, and she was just praying, God, please no, please don't let him do anything. Uh, he shook this bed so bad she almost fell off, and at that time she started moving her feet across trying to, hit my dad against the leg or kick him or something or pinch him with her toes just to wake him up. And uh, anyway, the bed was put down. And then when my dad finally woke up, he said, what is it? He put his arm around and she just clung to it and she couldn't say a word. She was so scared. And it's not until probably a minute or so later, she just went and you could utter the words. Uh-uh, uh-uh. And then later she explained what had happened. Then there was a big racket outside. The dogs were barking and things went crazy. And then she said, listen, we are packing up. We're not staying here another day. And uh, when she told the story to my aunt, who was involved in the occult at that time, uh, he, she said, oh, look, not to worry. He's harmless. He just came to say hi. And she never realized why she actually had this encounter. Uh, and it's not until later that she realized actually what she had been involved with was the occult through the Ouija board. And that had opened the door, in a sense, for her to have this encounter. Mm-hmm. My dad a while didn't believe it said she'd just been dreaming but uh, until the day she died she always insisted that that was a true story and a real experience for her um but uh, she got rid of all the occultic stuff that she uh, she started looking at these things a little bit more and then realized there were a few things that she was involved in that she shouldn't have been in although it was innocently yeah and that's a fairly common experience too for people who are involved in the occult uh, to have experiences similar to this um, you know, where there is supernatural, unexplainable things, and that's clearly been a thing in her life, where you just open the door and then, you know, these big things can happen. Obviously a terrifying experience for her and uh, reason enough to uh, put all of that stuff into her past. Was that basically yeah. the last of her dealings with the occult then? Yes, no- nothing else happened again after that. Um, she just recommitted her life to the Lord and, um, you know, that was the last of it. But uh, my dad, in, uh, he, he had become a Christian as well at the stage, of course, uh, uh, when I was born. He did leave the church for a little while. He sort of, you know, became a bit secular until my sister was born. And then he started coming back. And then under deep conviction felt he wanted to go and study the ministry. So he actually became a pastor. And, um, yeah, we had an interesting life as, as PKs, no preacher's kids, pastor's kids. You're listening to The Story. Today, Shelley Scowen is chatting with Etienne McClintock, who's sharing about his life growing up in South Africa, where several of his family members were involved in the occult. We'll hear more of his story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. 
Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen chatting with Etienne McClintock, who grew up in South Africa where several of his family members were involved in the occult. As we heard before the break, his father became a Christian and eventually a pastor. Then, at 15 years old, Etienne was baptised. But unfortunately, over the years, he started to immerse himself in watching occult-orientated horror movies, which were having a negative impact on his life. Now, we'll hear what happened next in his life. So, uh, we now end up moving to New Zealand. And my dad's taken up... uh, a, uh, a pastoral care of a church there, and I meet some of the, the beautiful young people there. And it was about a, a year after that, uh, we had then moved uh, from one part of New Zealand to another, and they had this like this congress. Now, it wasn't one of those congresses where they have like a Christian camp, you know, the Christian camps they have, and you can go and stay there, either in a little chalet, a bungalow, or you can bring your caravan or a tent. And uh, some of our young people, they got married and uh, she was also always a fine example of what I thought was virtue and doing the right thing, you know. Uh, not quite a goody two-shoes, but almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was always impressed with her as a person, that she had good moral conviction and that. But anyway, so I came down to this camp, and um, I wasn't there that particular night, but what had happened is it was the first night they were there in the camp event, her and her husband. Now, her husband had been involved in the occult as well. And... Um, they were just wondering whether they should leave the church or not, and they decided they would they would they would not leave the church, and that they would actually remain faithful to the Lord. And um, because of his background, they they had a supernatural experience in the camper van, and it was like this demonic uh, spirit wanted to take possession of him, and he resisted it. Then it went to her, went back to him, and she got scared at that time. And when that fear set in on her, it took control of her, and then he's saying, "I'm going to cast you out," and all this. He went looking for my dad, who had actually ended up marrying them. Um, he couldn't find him, found a medical doctor, and then the medical doctor found another pastor, uh, and they actually performed what we would call a, a release, you know, an exorcism uh, to get rid of this this devil. Anyway, when I heard this, because I was still very much into my occultic movies at the time, uh, it panicked me. I really got really scared. I was thinking, well, what's preventing that from happening to me? I mean, she was, in my books, a better person than, than I was. Yeah. That was really an experience in my life that cured me from watching all the occultic movies. I never wanted to watch another occultic movie again after that. I mean, I, we weren't playing games here. This turned out to be real. Yeah. The stuff watching that Hollywood was producing. So we can see then at this point you kind of have one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and God is slowly changing your heart to make you see that he wanted all of you. Hey. Absolutely, yeah. Well, it was shortly after that that I actually, uh, just by walking away from that, got involved with the uh, with the church a little bit more and actually became one of the youth leaders. And we were organizing programs and so forth. And uh, there was a little bit of revival. So I started reading my Bible a little bit more and um, getting a little bit more involved. And uh, we, as a, as a youth group, you know, instead of just going off to the movies or doing something like that, uh, we'd go for a Bible study together and have a social where we would pray and so on. So but I was still not fully, fully on board, you know, very sincere, but just distracted. I mean, there's so many things that are out in the world that uh, appeals to the fallen human psyche. 
And uh, I hadn't fully understood the, the self-denial about taking up a cross and following Jesus and how wonderful this relationship is that the Lord offers us, this intimacy that God offers us. So um, what happens? I get married. I uh, meet my wife, Michelle. We were skiing. I was actually at a youth camp skiing and uh, met her on the ski field, so to speak. And uh, our relationship uh, blossomed and developed. And finally, we got married around 1992. And we'd known each other for quite a few years at that time. And it was after I got married as well that my mum actually wasn't feeling well at our wedding. And a few months later, she was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, they were living in Melbourne at the time, and I was living in Auckland. And my mum had to go in for an operation. When they did the the operation, we went over. Now, at this stage, I'm reading my Bible. I'm still a new babe in Christ, you know, but reading my Bible. And um, had given my heart to the Lord. This is probably the third time now. My story actually can be summed up not about a faithful Etienne, but about about a faithful God, irrespective of myself and my, uh, you know, my wanderings away. The Lord was always there for me. It does sound like he was constantly pursuing you, wasn't he? And uh, coming after you and changing your heart, you know, a little bit at a time um, without being, you know, forceful on you. He was just inviting you to change your heart. Absolutely. You summed it up beautifully in regards to that experience. But so I go over to Melbourne now. I'm, I'm sort of closer to the Lord again, and my mum needs prayer, so I pray for her. And I'm, I've read in the Bible, people pray and people get healed. The, Jesus prayed for people. He laid his hands on people, and he healed them. And I thought, well, he's still the same God. Why can't he heal? And I just thought there were many people with unbelief, so I prayed expecting a miracle for my mum to be healed. But it didn't happen as I expected. And the Lord was still teaching me something. Sometimes the Lord's got to teach us uh, you know, things through a positive experience, sometimes through a negative experience. Well, what we class as negative, but they're not really that negative. Anyway, so my mum survives that operation. It's not too bad an operation at this stage. It's still early in her, uh, you know, when she was six, still early in the early days. We keep on living in uh, in New Zealand. Uh, my family keep on living in Melbourne. And my dad ends up at a, at a church. And uh, this is quite a vibrant little church. So we come and visit um, my family. Uh, we hadn't been there for about a year, and we go and attend the church on the weekend. And while I'm there, my sister had actually come over before that, and she'd met a guy over there, and uh, she now is living in Melbourne with my with my parents. And we're at this, like, a Bible study at church. And, uh, you know, the guy leading from the front would talk, and then he'll sort of reference my sister, and she's now two years younger than me, and I always knew more about the Bible than she did, but now – She's like an authority in the scriptures. And while I recognize a, a voice and I recognize a face, I don't recognize the person that's speaking. Where did all this Bible knowledge come from? She's quoting scripture. And I go, how does she know the scripture? I mean, I could sort of talk about Bible, but I couldn't tell you the reference point. But she's telling the references. And then the then the, they, they'd ha- ask a difficult question. And then the, the Bible teacher would go, oh, what do you think, uh, Zelda? And you'd refer to my sister. Anyway, so um, they had this very interesting study. It was deeply spiritual and some things of it I couldn't understand. Now, I want to put this in perspective. Um, The church where I was attending in Auckland, um, from time to time, they would ask me to do a bit of a Bible study. And I had quite a philosophical approach. I also had a bit of a fascination with, you know, just philosophy in general and also psychology. And I sort of would have a philosophical kind of an approach and you talk to scripture. But these guys were deeply spiritual so I was thinking, well, look, I couldn't really participate in the lesson. Apparently, you know, this, this Bible study lesson, apparently my sister could, which shocked me. <laughs> uh, something had changed in her life. 
Yeah. And then they have like this, you know, lunch after church, like a potluck lunch. So I go and talk to these guys, but they're still talking about spiritual things. And they are just so passionate about their relationship with the Lord and talking about how they witnessed to this one and someone came to the Lord and someone gave their life to the Lord here. And it's a foreign experience to me. I had not really witnessed uh, that much in regards to my faith. I sort of pretty much kept it to myself. You go to church, be a good person. You, know, you pay your offerings and the tithes and so on. Anyway, so I go to another group thinking, well, I've got to find a group that I can relate to here. But all the groups just seem to be involved in these spiritual things. One of the groups was still <laughs> about the, the Bible study that morning. And I just felt so uncomfortable. I finally said to my wife, look, we've got to get out of this, this place. These people are weird. And um, so we go and sit outside on the steps at the church and a young person runs past us and he pronounces a blessing on us as he goes past. You know, like, the Lord bless you and keep you or something. And I go, oh, yeah, you too. And um, what surprised me is there was a, a buildup of almost animosity, just an uncomfortable feeling about their spirituality versus mine. And it dawned on me at that time, you know, I've read about uh, lukewarmness and the seventh church there in Revelation called Laodicea and how they knew the hot nor cold but lukewarm. I recognized the fact that what they had was a genuine relationship and a love for the Lord that I didn't have. And I was convicted that what they had is what I needed but at the same time, my own fallen heart actually had a, a, a an allergic response to it. And I still had a level of animosity against God then. It was not until these circumstances actually showed it to me that I realized that I needed a deeper spiritual connection with the Lord and a deeper commitment to Him. Mm. It's interesting that that was your reaction as well. I mean, the fact that you were still choosing to run, even when you had these people in front of you that were you know, so clearly on fire for God. Um, the fact that it kind of really grated on you when you saw these people in front of you. It's also interesting, given that you had spent your whole life in the church. Well, that's right. I, I, I was brought up probably amongst uh, a lot of Christians. Occasionally you would meet some Christians, you know, and in hindsight now, thinking back, we always thought that they were a little bit weird or they were the nerds and that. Um but a lot of our friends, we were the cool the cool bunch, you know, and I think that coolness always wanted to try and stay with us, but that coolness was also an expression of a lack of self-denial as well. So we would sometimes mock some of these kids, and in hindsight now, I think some of these kids were actually, you know, quite faithful to the Lord. They had a devotional life, and uh, I was really more a nominal Christian. I was just going through the motions at that time. Mm. And it's not until this experience that I actually realized that uh, God was offering me something far better, but also at the same time, did I love him enough to actually sacrifice some of these things? And I had to say at the time that I didn't. However, there was something beautiful and something very disturbing about what I saw in them. I was disturbed by it, but I could see a beauty in their connection with Christ. It just shone out of their face. So, um, yeah, that, that was a, a bit of a turning point. And it's not until about six months later, my mum is now still suffering from, um, from this cancer. And um, she's going in for a very big operation. And this tumor has grown very big. And the doctor rings up the morning of the operation and says, listen, we've just done another scan. Uh, and the tumor, which was slow growing, had grown 17% overnight. It said, look, it looks really bad. Wow. Uh, you the facts that we'll probably just open her up, but we'll probably just have to close her up again because we don't believe there's anything we can do. It's, it's connected to too many organs. Now, this dear church uh, started praying and fasting for my mom. I mean, the whole church. I was just blown away. So I thought, well, look, I love my mum. I love her dearly. 
that's the least I can do. This I don't understand the fasting bit, but I'll fast and pray as well with them. And um, the operation takes six hours. Now, the doctor told us they'll probably just close her up and she may have a matter of days to live. Anyway, somehow the Lord takes her through that whole experience. The doctor, with incredible precision, is able to cut the cancer out. She lost the spleen. She lost, uh, I think, part of her pancreas and a few other organs as well. But she survives the operation and lived another two and a half years. But as I'm praying for my mother, the Lord changes my heart. And I experience now what I saw in these other guys at this church. I have a passion and a love for the Lord. And whoever wants to listen to my story, I want to just share what the Lord has done in my life. I mean, I was restless before. He's given me rest for my restlessness. I have this peace and this joy in my heart that lasted with me for more than a year. Nothing could offend me. Nothing could upset me. Everybody that I saw was just someone that I cared about because the Lord cared about them. I realized that he died for them just as much as he died for me and paid the price for their sins. And I have this incredible experience. And all of a sudden, I'm reading the Bible and understanding it like I've never understood it before. I'm seeing things there. And, you know, when I discover new things, it's almost like you're searching for a nugget of truth. When you discover it and you understand it, it just its like this thrills every fiber of your being. Mm. Every waking moment, I'm reading the Bible. So um, I have this incredible encounter uh, with the Lord, and um, that has just been such a wonderful experience for me. So it's interesting then that throughout your mother's sickness, you and the church were praying for your mum, and that totally makes sense. And it was such a blessing for her to be able to live for another two and a half years. But I think the biggest story in this is the overarching will of God, where, yes, he wanted to give her another two and a half years of life, but he also wanted to work in your life as a result of what was going on in your mum's life. Absolutely. Look, and uh, my mum also, in her religious experience, draw closer and closer to the Lord every time through the sickness. Some good was coming out of it because she was connecting with God in a way she never even knew it was possible. So then when she finally did pass away, how did you experience that as far as faith is concerned? Look, I've never probably felt so helpless in my life just to see someone's life ebb away in front of you. But we've been praying. We even did, you know, it talks in the Bible, if someone's sick, bring the elders and let them uh, anoint, and the prayer of faith will save a soul. But at the same time, we also knew that, you know, God knows the end from the beginning, and we've got to just trust him with everything. And uh, my mum, you know, fell asleep in the Lord, um, and I'm looking forward to that day, the resurrection, when we'll be united again. You know, while I was sad, Uh, We still had a courage and confidence. At that stage, I'd moved to a point where it didn't matter what happened. The Lord would actually always come through for us and we could count on his promises if we read them in in the Bible. That was Shelley Scowen chatting with Etienne McClintock, who's originally from South Africa. As we heard, he had several family members that were involved in the occult and had demonic supernatural experiences. But fortunately, he learned that demonic forces are nothing to mess around with and eventually came to the light of Jesus Christ. One verse that comes to mind when talking about these dark forces is 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, which says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. As believers, God dwells within us, and he is greater than any demonic force that is in the world and is trying to do us harm. 
If you'd like to pray with someone about concerns you have in this area, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's one 800 772 We'd really love to pray with you on that number, one 800 772 Well, thanks for joining us for part one of Etienne McClintock's story. We invite you to join us again next time to hear more of how God has been working in his life. But until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I was a little bit presumptuous, being a little bit reckless with my investments and expecting God to bless me. And I had grown to love money quite a lot. It became quite important to me and wealth and success and what money could buy. And the prosperity gospel I bought into promoted the love of money significantly. So it wasn't actually the gospel, it was a false gospel. And uh, that false gospel bitterly disappointed me. Etienne McClintock joins us once again to share more of his life journey. Sadly, he temporarily fell into the trap of the prosperity gospel and the love of money. However, he now works overseas with Voice of the Martyrs Ministry and has learned a great deal about how God truly blesses people. All that and more is coming up next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 